0: All right, amen. Okay, open up your Bibles. We are in Hebrews chapter 11. We are in a series called Heroes of Faith where we are going through this chapter of scripture. Last week, we talked about a man named Abel who was killed by his brother Cain. Um, But we talked about how Abel's faith was manifested in his offering. That Abel gave the first fruits, right? The first fruits. And we talked about how. Um, for us, in the same way, we can't give God the the leftover parts because that says something about our hearts, right? That when Jesus says, "Where your treasure is, your heart is also," right? That we understand that if we give, if we, if God is the is the is the second part or the third part, then what happens is we don't get to experience the fullness of life in God. Now, what we see here in verse five is that. The author of Hebrews is going to go through all of these different characters, and today we're going to talk about a man named Enoch. Um, Bible says almost nothing about Enoch, right? There's like a couple lines in Scripture. We're going to read them all today. We're going to read everything the Bible has to say about Enoch. All right, so if you're in verse 5, it'll be on the board. It says this, It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Amen. Okay, also, you can look up at the board. We're going to have Genesis 5. This is um, the Genesis account of Enoch. This tells us a little bit about who he is. It says this, when Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. By the way, this is right at the beginning of Genesis. We're talking seventh generation from Adam. Okay, that's Enoch. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. Okay, so that's pretty much it. You heard everything the Bible has to say about this man Enoch. There's not a lot there. So, so who is this guy? First of all, he is the great grandfather of a person you've probably heard of. Excuse me, the great grandfather. Did I say that? I did. He's a great grandfather of Noah. Right. So this is prior to the flood. Um, he's uh, he's an ancestor of Noah. There's a book called First Enoch. There's actually First and Second Enoch. Now, these are non-canonical works that are attributed to Enoch, but are probably not written by Enoch. In the first century, that was common practice to have these pseudographical works where you would attribute it to a historic figure, Um, but that's probably not written by Enoch. We don't have a lot of trustworthy material about him, but I wanted to share a little bit. There are Jewish legends, meaning in Jewish culture and Jewish tradition they would pass down stories they would pass down an oral tradition and one of the oral traditions that was passed down about Enoch was that Enoch was a man who lived close in close fellowship with God. he secluded himself from everybody else. Now uh, I, I believe I remember reading once that it was about a hundred years that Enoch lived by himself, just him and God. He wins he wins, dude. He spent more time with God than anybody, right? About uh, about a hundred years. So we're we're working on. We're we're, we're getting there. But Enoch won, okay? He he won that race. He lived with God for 100 years on his own. And then according to this legend, he at that point, he heard the voice of an angel. An angel spoke to him and called him to start teaching others about God. And so after that, he went out. He started teaching other people about God. He became so influential that he became a king. And he did that so well that and God was so pleased with him that he was taken up, snatched up to heaven without experiencing death. Now, some rabbis will say that that's really a euphemism. He actually did die. God killed him, but in a good way. He killed him so to keep him from falling into temptation and stuff like that. Um, but the more common understanding of, of Scripture is that Enoch was t- was taken. He did not taste death. He did not die. And he's one of two, right? Right? It's him and Elijah. Those are the only two people in the Bible that are recorded that we don't know if they died because there's this picture of God taking them up because he was pleased with them. And that's that's about it. <laughs> so I want to say, um, you know, as we talk about this, you know, in some ways we're gonna be we're gonna be speculating a little bit um, because we just don't have a lot of detail. About Enoch, but in many of your translations, your translation probably said that Enoch walked with God, right? That Enoch walked with God. In the NLT, which we read, it talks about him having close fellowship with God, right? This idea that he had a close, intimate relationship with God, and because of that, God took him. Okay. Now I want to share something on this note that I feel is prophetic for us. In this season, Um, yesterday I was with our student leaders and we were praying, as we do every Saturday, we were praying and I just felt like God was was speaking to me about our community, about our fellowship in particular. I want to be addressing many of you who are leaders. We have a lot of people who take leadership positions here in our ministry and other departments of the church, on their campus fellowships, all these types of things. And I want to say, number one, if that's you, you're one of those people that takes responsibility in those contexts, good job. Good job. You're taking responsibility, hopefully, because you're trying to serve God and you're trying to put his kingdom first. And I want to say, good job. That is wonderful. But can I also say that there is a danger here. There's a danger here. In our culture, we talk a lot about having a calling from God, about having a mission. And I always try and put the mission of God first because when we put his kingdom first, he promises that he'll take care of us, amen? But the truth is that any truth can be overemphasized, okay? Any truth can be overemphasized. In the kingdom, all truths have counter-truths. God is loving and he is holy, right? And sometimes you could talk so much about one truth that you start to lose focus on the other truth. And by the way, that's pretty much how, you know, every church or ministry gets unbalanced. That's how we get unbalanced in our lives. And a lot of times God will have to correct us. When we start having pet theologies, right, things about God that we got revelation on, God spoke to us, we encountered it, we're like, yes, it's all about the love of God, and we start talking about the love of God everywhere we go, can I, can I say, that's not a bad thing. The problem is, and someone goes, but he's holy too. And we go, yeah, but he's loving. Am I making sense? We start to ignore the other aspects of God because we're so focused on one aspect, right? I feel like there is a tendency in our community, and this is not unique to our community, But there is a tendency in our community to see ourselves as ministers first. As ministers first. And the sense I have is this, that that mentality of seeing yourself as a minister first will get you in a lot of trouble. And I'll tell you how you can tell because this is what I saw in this vision as I was praying. I saw that there were these people and they had ministers and I saw all these accusations of failure against them. Just all of these words, failure, 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 failure. And this is what I want to say, if you have been struggling with the sense of failure in God, you might have put ministry, you might have minister as your identity rather than just being a child of God rather than just being a child of God. This is important. The truth is is that hopefully if you're in Christ, you're both, right? I'm not trying to say that the truth that I love to preach about, that you have a calling in God, that you are called to be a minister, that is absolutely an important part of who you are, but that's not the primary part of who you are. Am I making sense? That's not the primary part of who you are. The primary identity that you are to have as a believer is a child of God. And hear me. Especially in our culture, we make the mistake often of getting into a mentality where we have to perform to earn God's favor. How many guys have ever struggled with that one? A couple of people, amen. Me and you. Me and you. But there's a there's a really e- easy reason why. Look, and for me, you know. One of the things when I was in college that God really started to speak to me about, and this was early early in my college career, but I remember God would start to speak to me about my father. And with my father, my father was a good man. He was there for me, right? He, he was around. He provided, right? He took me out to play baseball. Now, I hated baseball. That guy loved baseball, so we played baseball for his sake. But my point was, in my mind, I didn't have any problems with my father. In my mind, things with dad were good. But the Lord started to point at this over and over and, and, and start to convict my heart that there was something here that there was something here. And I started to get prophetic experiences. I've shared one of these experiences in one prophetic vision. I was a little boy and I was trying to tie my shoe and I couldn't do it. And I was getting so frustrated and the Lord spoke to me in that moment and he said, you didn't have anybody to guide you in many of these things in your life. And I started to realize what was happening. And I did this other prophetic exercise where it said, write down all of you know the defining characteristics of the leaders you've had in your life. Write down their strengths and their weaknesses. And I remember I wrote down about my youth pastor and about my Bible study teacher and about my friend who was mentoring me. And then and I realized in every list of strengths and weaknesses, all of them had the same weakness. All of them were inconsiderate. All of them didn't notice. They didn't notice all the great things I was doing. Now, what what was the issue? Was the problem that God had given me all these inconsiderate leaders? Or was the problem that I had a wound that was being provoked by every father figure in my life? Does that make sense? God started to point out to me in my life that there was a wound that I didn't even know was there. And because that wound was there, I couldn't relate to him as a loving father. Ultimately, what it was is I felt like God was inconsiderate. I felt like God never noticed all the things that I was doing. Right Now, was that true? Of course it wasn't true, but I felt that way. I couldn't feel the affection of God in these areas of my life. I couldn't feel it, even though I wanted to. People would talk about how loving he is, and, and I knew that kind of, I had experienced some of that love, but there was a sense in which I was constantly afraid that I was going to lose his favor in my life. Constantly afraid. I felt like if I didn't, if I missed a prayer meeting, do you still, do I still have your favor, God. Right? If I didn't show up for this thing, right? And the worst was what this does, these these holes in our heart, you know what they do? They make you easy to control. Because if somebody knows the wound's in your heart, all they have to do is push that wound. Does that make sense? Why do we fall for controlling leaders? Because we don't know how to discern when they're acting wrong and when I'm acting wrong. So when somebody comes in confidence confidence, and says, you're acting wrong, you should have come to that prayer meeting. Then we go, we don't know how to discern. Am I making sense here? Ideally, all of us would have perfect parents. right? This would be glorious. If all of us had perfect parents, then we'd have an understanding of what God was really like. But because all of us grew up in broken contexts, there's ways of, that are broken between us and our fellowship with God. And what that often does, especially in our culture, is it makes us feel the need to prove to God. Let me put it to you this way. When you are a child, the most important thing you can do is not help mommy and daddy with the dishes. You can't even do any dishes. You can't even reach up there. The most important thing that you can do when you're a little kid is not help dad with his sermon preparation. You would suck at it. The most important thing that you can do is, believe it or not, not help mommy clean around the house. I know mom's sad right now. I guess that is the most important Now, when they get older, they help out in these ways. But the point is, when you're small, you're purposefully unable to be useful in those ways. Am I making sense? You're purposefully unable to be useful. Meaning this, your worth as a young child doesn't come from what you can do. Right? Your worth as a young child does not come from what services you can provide, how valuable and useful you are to those around you. Your worth as a child comes from the fact that you are cute. <laughs> it's not totally about being cute. But guess what? God makes babies cute. I know. What about the non-cute babies? Right? No, they're all cute. All of them. Well, some are more cute than others. No, to parents, you're cute. That's how it works. Why? Because God builds in the natural what happens in the spiritual. What happens when you become a new baby in Christ? What happens? Are you cute to God? Some of us are like, no, I'm the ugly baby. <laughs> They're the good-looking babies. I'm the ugly baby. <laughs> you, you like that one, huh? No, no, no. When you're young, do you know what the most you know the pro- most profitable thing that you can do? You play with your parents. That's what it is, right? That's the the healthiest thing that you can do as a young child is play with your parents. Why? Because in the mutual play, the mutual delight, you develop a sense of confidence that my parents delight in me. Right. That's why play is so important for young children. you got to play with them. They have to see you delighting in them. Right Now, can I say this? Some of you don't understand that you're supposed to play with God. You're like, what? God doesn't play? He's serious all the time. Your view of God is he is a big, serious judge sitting in the chair. He never gets up from the chair. Right, he's just got that gavel and he's waiting for you to sin. Right, as soon as I said "boom," caught you again. And we feel like God is constantly catching us in our lives with sin. Can I say that God is a judge? Yes, but judges don't aren't judges all day long, right? If I'm a judge. And I have a kid, do I just sit there in my chair and judge him all day long? No, that's part of who I am, but that's not my primary identity. Who's my, what's my primary identity to my son? My primary identity is father, right? That's who I am. I'm the one who loves him just as he is, right? I'm the one who wants to be with him even if nobody else wants to be with him. I want to be with him. He's the one that I believe in, even if he does he can't do anything right, right? I remember one time in preschool, we went to Judah's classroom. All the children had written their names on the board, right? Except Judah's, all of Judah's J's were backwards. And all the other kids, you know, like, all the letters are proper, but Judah's got that backwards J, I was like, I was kind of shocked. I was like, what the heck? Now, how many you guys know that I didn't reject my son in that moment. Right? Oh, it's over. He's behind. We got the slow one. Right? Of course not. Why? Because I believe in him. I believe in him. Many of us need to understand that God believes in us, right? This is is such an important revelation to have. It's not a belief based on our ability to perform, right? It's not saying, I believe that you're never going to sin. No, he he knows you're going to sin, okay? He's saying, I believe in you. Why? Because you've given yourself to me, and I know how to lead you in your life, right? I know how to train you in your life. I know the potential that you have. And sometimes we start to grow in God, and God starts to speak to us. And he says, Dennis, you're going to be an amazing minister, right? Jason, you're going to be an amazing minister. And then you, as a little spiritual kid, you put on your little minister's tie, right? And you start to get into it, and you start to practice, and, you, and that's wonderful. The problem is when you start taking yourself way too seriously. You ever seen those kids? <laughs> right, the ones that think they're actually helping. Yeah. Right? That's where we get into trouble. And hear me, there's something to this. Guess what? Many of you guys are doing your best. Best in ministry. I was telling, I was telling our our student leaders yesterday, I feel like half my job here is to tell people they're not failing. (laughs) Right? I just tell all the leaders, you're not failing, right? You're doing great, right? Oh man, I'm so blessed by you. I'm so blessed by your faith. You're doing great. Don't give up. Don't worry. Why? Because our tendency in our culture is to fear, is to feel like we're constantly failing everything. And that happens when we think that God wants us to impress him with our work and not the intentions of our heart. Am might make any sense. Guess what? I'm not impressed. Sorry, honey. Not impressed by the mastery of Eden's artistic skill. If you guys, if you guys know my daughter, that girl is drawing stuff all day long. Guess what? I've seen better. Picasso, he was a little better. <laughs> Monet. But can I tell you this? Her drawings are my favorite drawings in the whole world. Why? Why? Guess what? I keep her drawings. I threw away all those other ones. Right? Why do I keep hers? Because the intention of her heart is beautiful to me. Am I making sense? The intention of her heart It makes it precious to me. She'll understand when she's older. (laughs) Right? Brothers and sisters, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? I'm saying this. When we look at Enoch's life, Enoch learned how to walk with God. In many of our lives, our tendency is to compartmentalize our lives. We have our church life over here on Sundays, you know, and maybe during house church meeting, right? And then we've got our real life over here. And now you have a third one. Now you have a virtual life, right? Like your Facebook identity, your Instagram, right, all those photos or whatever, right? Yeah, like, you know, we compartmentalize our life. And a lot of times we have, we've got this life and then we've got that life. I remember I felt like that. A lot when I was in high school. I remember feeling like I've got this church life, my weekend life is church life, and then the rest of the week, it's a totally different life. It felt like two completely different things. And guess what? It was really hard to bring God into my real life. It was, you know, it was relatively easy for me to bring God into my church life because they made me, right? Play now, you know? <laughs> Right? They made me bring God into that one. Right, But when I was on my own, I didn't know how to bring God in there in a way that was natural, in a way that felt right, if that makes sense. Because what I struggle with, I struggle with that feeling like I'm constantly disappointing him. I'm constantly in the way here. I'm constantly doing the things that he doesn't want me to do. And I didn't know how to just talk with him and be normal. With God! You ever see those people, they don't know how to pray? Oh, I joked about that the other week. They say those really phony prayers, right? And I know, I know their heart. It's not because they're trying to be fake. It's that they don't they haven't developed an intimate prayer life with God. Right? They don't know how to pray honest, genuine prayers. Right? They just copy what the people on stage do, right? They just copy. Go oh, glory, God. We want your glory, right? You ask him, what is glory? <laughs> Am I making sense? Some of the best prayers in my life have been the most simple expressions of my heart. Right? Some of those simple expressions of my heart where I said, God, I just really need help here. Right? I used to journal when I was in college. I journaled a ton, and I would just. I would just write and write and write and write, and and I sometimes I, I read back my old journal entries and they're like semi-incoherent, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah, you're just—it's like you're just writing what you're thinking, and sometimes your thoughts are going all over the place and you don't make sense. But can I tell you, I'm so proud of the journal entries because I tried to be brutally honest, right? I tried to tell God what I was honestly feeling and honestly thinking and and I'm not saying your relationship with God is just honesty that's part of it right You do need to declare truth that you know is true even when you don't feel it. That's important. But there has to be a genuine part, right? When we look at the Psalms, there's always a, God, why do you allow the wicked to prosper? Why do you allow this? Why is this happening in my life? And by the end it gets to, right, but I know that you're going to redeem me, right? But I know that you're the Savior and the Redeemer. There's always a praise. It gets to a place of praise. But there's a place of honesty that it's got to go through first. Am I making sense? Hear me, I'm prophesying right now. I believe that God is taking us into a new place of relationship with him. It's not a place of more overt passion. It's a place of more authentic relationship. This is something that I feel like God has has been stirring in my spirit that we really need. Why? Because God is supposed to be enjoyable. He's supposed to be the most enjoyable person in the universe. You ever been around somebody you loved being around? I'm not talking about romantically. I know all y'all just started thinking, yes, I know exactly. Yes, I know, yes. No, no, don't think about God romantically, please, okay? I'm talking about have you ever had a friend A leader, someone in your life that you're just, man, I love being around this person, right? I enjoy this person so much, right? Why? You feel loved by them. You feel accepted. They inspire you. Can I tell you that God is like that times a million? That if we actually heard what he said all the time, we'd be like, God, I love spending time with you. I love hearing your voice. I love that. Can I say that when I was in high school, I hated going to retreats because weird stuff happened at retreats. I don't know what retreats you ever went to. Look, at my church growing up, we had some weird people. You know what I mean. Some of you guys are those weird people. And just being real, when I was in high school, I was not a weird person. I know that's hard to believe. I wasn't weird at all. I was very rational, very logical. So when people did things that didn't make rational sense to me, my assumption is they're irrational. (laughs) It's not like I'm trying to think that about them. It just was weird to me. And I remember feeling this pressure that if I'm not weird, I don't fit in. Does that make sense? But at the same time, I felt the pressure that God wants me to be a weirdo, right? He wants to do something that's going to make me flop around and talk weird languages and do weird things. And to be honest, it made me uncomfortable. I would feel uncomfortable in every retreat. And then, you know, it's like 2 a.m. They're like, let's just pray another hour. And I'm like, no, no, let me go to bed. I went to a Korean church and youth group. I don't know why Koreans have this this belief, right, that the less you sleep, the more God is there or something. Right? I don't know where that one comes from. But whatever. I hated it. I I just wanted to sleep. Can I, is it okay if I'm just a little bit real here today? This is what, and so when I would think about going to retreats, to be honest, I didn't really want to go. And if I can be even more honest, sometimes I can get into a place when I think about going to retreat, we're going to retreat next week, and I can start feeling some of those same feelings. I don't want to do the weirdness. I want to sleep, right? I, you know, I want God to show up and bring breakthrough in people's life, but I'm afraid to some degree that it won't happen with some people. You ever had those, or even with me, right? Sometimes I deal with all of those same feelings. And can I tell you that a lot of it comes from, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, it comes from a religious spirit. It comes from having an expectation of an event rather than a relational expectation of a person. Am I making sense? My question to you today is, what do you want from God at this retreat? What do you want him to do? I think sometimes we default to the religious answer, right? I don't know. I want him to, you know, pass it, boom and ah! And look, those can be powerful times, right? I've seen lives changed, right, by a single touch from God. So I, I'm not trying to discount those things. I'm just saying that that's, it's not a formula, right? Like, what you need... May not be a power encounter. It might be, but it might not be. And my point is this: if we have a, re- a religious expectation of God in our lives, meaning where it's not relational, there's not, it's not a conversation I'm having with God, then we're practicing more religion of Christianity than we are having an actual relationship with Him. Right? Can I tell you? I've been speaking to God about this retreat over the past couple days, and God has really refocused my heart, and I am so looking forward to this retreat, right? I'm so looking forward to this retreat, and i got to be honest, right? I'm always, I'm always, you know, I want you guys to get breakthrough. I pray for that like crazy, right? But I'm really just looking forward to meeting with God. I'm really looking forward to just having time where I can spend in his presence and hear from him. I'm hoping he's going to speak something fresh to me. There's some stuff I've been talking with him about. I just want to have a good time with God. Am I making sense? I think if we go with this heart and we surrender our expectations and we get real with God and we just go, God, here's where I really am. I think we can pray some powerful prayers that God will listen to. Why? Because he responds to the authentic and sincere desires of our own hearts, right? Jacob was sharing today about how we say, no, God, your way, your way, your way. And I understand that heart. I preach that all the time, right? But no, if we've surrendered to God, I'm surrendered to him. Guess what? He wants to know your heart too, right? My kids, I expect them to obey me. It's not okay if I say, do your homework, and they say, no, Dad. Right? I expect them to obey me when I command them, but that doesn't mean that our whole relationship is me commanding them. Right? What do you want from me now, Dad? How can I obey you now? What kind of weird relationship is that? <laughs> guess what? Most of my relationship with my kids is them asking me for the stuff that they want. It's them telling me all about the stuff that they want. And guess what? I love that. As long as they obey me. (laughs) No, you can't have ice cream all the time. Right? But if you obey me, I want to hear the desires. Why? I care because you care. I love you. Hear me, church. God cares about you. He cares about your desires. This is what it's talking about with Enoch. It's saying that it is impossible to please him without faith, without trust. What? What pray tell are you to have trust in? This that's important. What are you trusting God for? Can I would you hear me if I told you right now? I'm challenging you oh that you would trust that God loves you. Would you trust that he actually cares about you? Nobody wants me to marry that yeah. that pastor. I don't want to marry that pastor. He's not a taskmaster. He cares about the things that you want, yes. Even if you want stupid things, you know what? Sometimes God gives us stupid things. I'm serious. He does that. Sometimes in love, he says no because it's going to hurt you, right? But sometimes if it's not too hurtful, I think he gives us stupid things sometimes. I'm serious. God told me go and play two video games when I was in college. I was like, that's the devil, (laughs) right? took him a while to convince me that this was actually God telling me this. Why? Because he was taking me to a new level of relationship, new level of authentic intimacy with him, and he told me in that season, Dennis, talk to me about your video games. I was like, what? (laughs) But the reality is, I'm a super nerd. I don't show it to all of you guys all the time, but if you read my Facebook post today, you know, I'm a super nerd. I like talking about nerdy things, right? And can I tell you, God delights in that aspect of who I am, right? Do you know that? God delights in the weird aspects of who you are, right? He wants you to talk about it. He wants you to be honest with it. He wants you to trust that he takes all of those things into consideration when he's leading your life. Why? Why? Because he loves you. Amen. Amen. Worship team, come on up. I want to say this today. This is what I think. Ministry is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be. You're like, no way. (laughs) The prayer meeting, it's supposed to be fun, believe it or not. I know. I've been to a lot of prayer meetings where I did not have fun. Supposed to be, hear me. The worship times are supposed to be fun. The fellowship is supposed to be. discipling people. Believe it or not, it's supposed to be enjoyable. It really is. It. Let me put you in the. It can be. If we would allow God to speak to us in this season of our lives in ways that we haven't been able to hear Him. Hear me, God wants to share things with us in this season that we've never heard before. If we'd allow him to speak into these areas of our life, he would cut off from our hearts a religious understanding of who he is and replace it with an authentic father who delights in us as we are. Hear me. If you've been struggling with that feeling of failure, I believe that God wants to corporately break this off for all of us, to break off the spirit of comparison. Let me put you this way if you compare yourself with someone else, you're gonna find somebody who's doing something better than you. He wants to break all that off us. Why? So that no matter how much better Josh Peck is than me at ping pong, yeah. he still delights in me. Amen? Can I say that? Is it okay that some of you, there are people that are better at you at some of those things. Is that okay? Is it okay that you're not the world's best intercessor? You're not the world's best Bible study leader. Maybe you're not the world's best Bible study student. Can I say it's okay? It's okay. He delights in us as we are and the more that we, in, in, indulge ourselves in his delight right? the more we have confidence to let him disciple us in our lives and to train us for the purpose he has for us brothers and sisters let's invite the Holy Spirit to friendship with us can we do that? can we talk to him about this retreat? I just want us right now to just, let's go to the Lord let's just talk to him, what is it that you want him to do? What's your desire? What do you want him to speak to you about? His ways are mysterious. They do take patience. But we must have faith, meaning we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That means that we don't give up easy. I did that. as said, God, I believe you're going to do this, you're going to break this stronghold in my heart. You're going to change me, God. I started to declare it because all the signs pointed to no. All the signs pointed I was was going to have these issues in my life the rest of my life. I was forever going to struggle with rejection and a feeling of disappointment. I said, no, God, I know you're going to change me. You're going to do it. All of my trust is in you. Let's bring our hearts before the Lord right now. Can we stand up right now? Just start to pray. You don't have to shout or anything. Just talk with God right now. Let's bring our hearts.